the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Well, good day, tokers and toquettes And not toking lovers of liberty It is Tuesday, January 5th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us. Day two of our 2016 venture into the podcasting and live streaming world here on CannabisRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. Glad you could be here. I think we've got all the bugs figured out as far as getting us live on Cannabis Radio. So uh, check us out if you can. And uh, remember that our podcast will be available as well on iTunes and Stitcher and iHeartRadio and all of those outlets as well. We've got a wonderful show for you today. Joining us today in our activist agenda, we've got Christine Gordon. She is the vice president of the Missouri Cannabis Restoration and Protection Act. They're working for medical marijuana in the show me state. So we'll talk to her about that and how they are moving forward with trying to get initiative on the ballot for 2016 and beyond to help the people of Missouri with medical cannabis. Also coming up on the show today, we have got a behind the headlines that uh, is rocking uh, the New York Times. The mainstream media is all over this about how a California, Northern California narcotics deputy was caught in Pennsylvania with what they say is $2 million worth of marijuana for sale. Uh, We're going to take a look at some of their estimates and assumptions and uh, also how this isn't just some bad apple in the barrel. The whole damn drug war barrel is rotten. Also coming up on the show today, we're going to take a look at some uh, drug war data mining and give you information, some updates on drug testing in America. The Department of Transportation has changed some of their standards. We'll take a look at that and uh, we'll also figure out how to make that sound stop happening on my Dropbox. Thank you, Dropbox, for that. We appreciate that. (laughs) All sorts of things going on here on the show, but uh, coming up in our Radical Rant segment, We're going to be talking a little bit more about drug testing as well and give you a look at the history of drug testing in America, uh, when it got its start and what we can expect in the future from drug testing if we uh, continue to uh, fight against that here in America. Also uh, on the show today, I'm so sorry, that's just bugging the hell out of me there. I was trying to get that fixed while I'm talking to you. Yes, yes. Thank you, Dropbox. We appreciate it. Uh, Also coming up on the show today, uh, we will have some... (laughs) I'm just going to have to turn that off, aren't I? Oh, we're doing it live. Don't you love it here on the Russ Belleville show? Doing it live. Let's just kill the Dropbox for now. We'll figure it out offline. Uh, and also, for those of you who have been longtime listeners, you may, may be wondering, where is our two? Where is Toker Talk Radio? Well, this year in 2016, I've resolved that I have got to take it a little easier on myself and try not to do so much so often. So, I've got a lot of things happening in my life here in January as far as moving and starting a tour and so forth, and I need to focus a little more time on getting those things done. So for at least this month, I'm going to take off of doing uh, the Toker Talk Radio Hour 2. We'll try to get that back online uh, later in the year, but uh, like I said, I'm I'm just overwhelmed here and uh, need to take it a little bit easier. So we're just going to do an hour uh, each day here for the rest of this month, and then we'll play it by ear for the rest of the year 
and uh, see what happens. We got all sorts of great events we'll be going to this year. We are the official station of Canacon. And coming up after this break, we've got the Cannabis Radio News, where we have an agreement with the Associated Press. We'll be bringing you the news from the Associated Press Newswire. So stay tuned for that as well. It's all coming up on the Russ Belville Show. Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, January 5th, 2016. Vermont lawmakers are set to open the second half of their 2015-2016 session with marijuana legalization, the possible suspension of a senator, and closing two budget gaps at the top of the agenda. Lawmakers are looking to close a gap in the current year budget of about $28 million before turning their attention to a larger shortfall in projected revenues versus expenditures for fiscal 2017. 
On Wednesday, the Senate is expected to debate a proposal to suspend Senator Norman McAllister, who is facing criminal sex charges, until his court case is resolved. Among other items up for discussion, stiffer penalties for assaults or threats against state social workers and an amendment to the state constitution to double governor's terms from two years to four. A New York State Department of Health says the state's New York medical cannabis program will begin on Thursday. A department spokesman has announced the date Monday in response to questions from the Associated Press. Under the new law, patients with qualifying conditions can get permission from their physician to obtain non-smokable forms of marijuana. The patients must apply for a registry identification card and will receive their medication at a state-regulated dispensary. State lawmakers passed the law in 2014, but it took state health officials 18 months to finalize the rules and select the five companies that will produce and dispense the marijuana. 23 states now have comprehensive medical marijuana programs. New York's is considered to be one of the most tightly regulated. New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas says health officials would be running afoul of open record laws by withholding the names of those who apply to be licensed medical marijuana producers in the state. Balderas has sent a letter to the State Department of Health in response to proposed confidentiality changes. A public hearing on the changes is scheduled Wednesday in Santa Fe. While the names of licensed producers would become public, Balderas is concerned about a provision that would allow for the names of those vying for licenses to remain secret during the application period. Confidentiality surrounding producers was challenged last year in a lawsuit by freelance journalist Peter St. Cyr and the New Mexico Foundation for Open Government. They say the agency was violating the state's public records law by keeping the name secret. A cannabis producer left out of Minnesota's medical marijuana program is suing the state over the planned public release of information submitted as part of an unsuccessful bid. Abbotton, Minnesota is seeking an injunction to stop the posting of application information on the health department's website on January 22nd. The applicants like Abbotton were required to provide details about cultivation, extraction, extraction methods, pricing, building blueprints and security plans, ownership structure and compensation, and agreements with executives and investors. The lawsuit contends that disclosure of application details, even after promised redactions are made, could negatively impact the reputation of investors and provide, quote, an unjust informational windfall to competitors that wish to tarnish such principles and investors' market and thought leadership, end quote. Only two of the 12 applicants were ultimately chosen to cultivate marijuana and convert it into the pill, oil, or vapor forms allowed for sale to patients with qualifying conditions. Producers in Minnesota aren't allowed to sell it in leaf form for smoking. Officials say Illinois patients legally purchased nearly $1.7 million worth of medical marijuana during November and December. Program Director Joseph Wright on Monday announced sales figures since November 9th when Illinois launched regulated sales with the opening of the state's first licensed cannabis dispensaries. Wholesale sales, what growers sold to dispensaries, totaled more than $1.5 million. That indicates Illinois has collected roughly $107,000 in taxes in the pilot program. Marijuana wholesalers pay a 7% tax to the state. Wright says licensed dispensaries have served 2,815 unique patients. By the end of 2015, there were 20 dispensaries licensed to operate in Illinois. The retail price per gram on average was roughly $14 to $15. Illinois is among 23 states that allow at least medical use of marijuana. A New York company says it will soon offer the first certified kosher medical marijuana. Vireo Health says its non-smokable medical cannabis products have been certified as conforming to the Jewish dietary law by the Orthodox Union. 
This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, January 5th, 2015. I'm Russ Belville. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Despite strong public support for medical cannabis, decriminalization, and legalization in Georgia, the state spends $121 million every year to arrest, prosecute, and imprison Georgians for simple possession. Each year, the state of Georgia spends less on driver services, agriculture, and forestry combined. What else can $121 million a year do in Georgia? With that much money, the state could hire and keep 3,000 more teachers, improve roads and bridges, provide tax relief for small businesses, repair aging sewage systems, or lower taxes. But right now, that's millions of dollars of your tax money wasted on failed enforcement. Tell your representative you're tired of wasteful spending and ask them to end the cannabis prohibition. Join the conversation at www.peachtreenormal.org. Peachtree Normal is a proud affiliate of Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at a f- story from the New York Times. California drug enforcer caught with marijuana in Pennsylvania. Uh, this came out just today. And they're discussing the case of Christopher M. Heath, who is an anti-narcotics task force deputy sheriff in Northern California. He was caught in West Mannheim Township, Pennsylvania, trying to deliver more than 122 packages of marijuana. Uh, he was arrested with uh, two other men. And in addition to the marijuana, they also had $11,000 in cash. And Deputy Heath had his badge and his duty firearm with him. So we've got a firearm in the commission of a felony as well there. But uh, a few things about this story in the New York Times uh, have me scratching my head. And one of these is uh, Tom Kearney, the York County District Attorney in Pennsylvania, who's who said, quote, One has to be both saddened and angry when you hear of something like this. The work that is done by the task force and police officers in general is very dangerous work, and it's made more dangerous by the fact that occasionally there is a bad apple in the barrel. No, it's not a bad apple. This is this is to be expected when you have criminal drug prohibition. 
The story is as old as Al Capone. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. If you have a criminal prohibition, you set up a situation where there is enough incentive that eventually someone will take advantage of this. How could it not happen? But other problems that I've got in this is that the, uh, the, the photo here in the, in the, in the piece talks about this uh, York County District Attorney with 247 pounds of marijuana in 122 packages. And I did the math on this. That means each one of those packages was a kilogram. You know, basically a kilogram of weed, 122 of them. Weighs out to 247 pounds when they uh, figured all that out. And so they're going around saying that these men were caught with marijuana that had a street value of more than $2 million. More than $2 million. Now, start thinking of the math on that. All right, so we got $2 million, right? And we've got 247 pounds. Do the division. And that means they expect us to believe that marijuana is fetching $8,000 a pound in Pennsylvania. Now, how do they come up with a number like that? $2 million worth of the street. Well, Maybe they're saying nobody on the street actually buys pounds of marijuana. That's wholesale. So maybe we should go to the street value. Okay, so let's divide that pound of marijuana by 16 to figure out the ounces. Now we're getting to a $500 ounce in Pennsylvania for high-quality California weed. Is that a reasonable estimate? Take it down further, divide by eight, get yourself the price of an eighth. You're down to $63 an eighth. So is that a reasonable estimate when we're talking about the street value of this marijuana that the deputy uh, brought across. Well, maybe as I take a look at some of the prices uh, across the country, there's a great website. It's called priceofweed.com, And I looked up their latest page for the price of weed in Pennsylvania. And they say the average for a high quality ounce in Pennsylvania is $358, a high quality ounce, not 500. 358. And even getting this down to the eighth, I, I am able to find, I see one report here of someone in Bensalem, Pennsylvania, spending 60 bucks an eighth and another pers- person in Philadelphia, 60 bucks an eighth, but not 65. So when these estimates come out talking about the street value that they took off the streets, understand that these guys are inflating that value as much as they possibly can to make it sound like they've done a much better job. They've got $2 million worth of weed off the street. Now, if we're going to be more accurate, if if the price of an ounce of weed is more realistically in that state, going for 350 bucks, 350 bucks an ounce, times 16 ounces puts you at a $5,600 pound, times 247 pounds, that's a $1.3 million bust. Is it really so important that they say it's a one point that it's a two million dollar bust versus a one point three million dollar bust. I mean, does does the extra seven hundred thousand dollars make them more super cop or something? And and the other thing about this is how this is eventually going to start biting these guys on the butt as we continue to legalize. There have been some cases in Colorado. I believe Robert Corey was the attorney who was behind a couple of these where people had had their marijuana plant seized. And 
the uh, cops got sued over it because they illegally seized those plants. And Corey used the cops own numbers that a particular, you know, a plant would be worth $2,000 or whatever they said it was and use that against them in court to get a much higher judgment. So let's hope we can get some of that justice in the future. Can use some of these cops $8,000 pound numbers against them. Oh, they'll be real quick to say how cheap weed is then, won't they? It's 20 after. Happy 420 wherever you are. Come back. We're going to talk about the latest information on drug testing in the United States. Get.buzz. .buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. And if standing for the Constitution make you a wacko bird, then I am a very, very proud wacko bird. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're talking about some updates in drug testing in America. The latest comes from the Department of Transportation. Last month, their Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, the FMCSA, those that... uh, we regulate trucking and such, announced that it is reducing the minimum percentage of annual random drug tests for commercial motor vehicle drivers from 50% to 25%. That is to say, in any given period, they'll have only one out of four drivers being tested versus one out of every two. The change results from a provision in the Department of Transportation's drug testing rules that gives the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration the discretion to lower the testing numbers if the percentage of positive tests reported by motor carriers remains less than 1% for two consecutive years. While the percentage of positive random tests fell below 1% in 2011, DOT declined to reduce the testing rate. However, the most recent 2013 data continued this trend prompting the FMCSA to agree to have the required testing minimum to 25% to 2016. DOT stated that if the reported positive percentages again exceed 1%, the random testing requirement will revert back to 50%. Now, this is interesting to me in that 
there is a threshold below which our Department of Transportation feels they've achieved the goal and they can reduce the testing. That is, if the drug testing stays below 1%, we can test half as many drivers. But if we test half as many drivers and the rate goes up, then we'll have to go ahead and reinstate testing one out of every two. So it it, it makes me question how this is a sign of whether or not drug testing is working or not. One argument might be that if you're testing, you know, half of all the drivers and you're getting the rates below 1%, then that testing is what is dissuading drivers from using the drugs that will be caught in the tests. Keep in mind, drugs that will be caught in the tests, like weed. Um, And if we lower that rate, if we're only testing one out of four, and that rate stays at below 1%, won't that argue that the drug testing in and of itself isn't causing people to be more circumspect with their drug behaviors? It's an interesting thing here, and um, the announcement also does not affect the current requirement for random testing of 10% of drivers annually for alcohol use. Now, in other uh, drug testing news, our friends at the Weed Blog have a story up about Robert and Addie Hart, and they are a couple that had a SWAT raid take place at their home bust down the doors, point automatic weapons in their face. And this SWAT raid was based on two pieces of evidence. One, and keep in mind, we're talking about, uh, where were they, in Kansas, I think they are? It's, it's on KansasCity.com, so I'm thinking they must be in Kansas or Missouri. Let's check the link here and make sure. Leewood, Leewood in Johnson County. Uh, yeah, Kansas. So, the cops got a SWAT team to break down this guy's door because, number one, he was seen buying grow equipment from an indoor garden store. Buying something that's perfectly legal, indoor grow equipment, for growing tomatoes. The other piece of evidence that got the warrant was the cops went through the family's trash can. They found wet marijuana plant material. Wet marijuana plant material. And you know cops can go through your trash, right? You put your trash out at the curb. You have no expectation of privacy at that. So the cops get this wet marijuana plant material and they pull out one of these field drug test kits that cops keep on them, a little baggie that you can put the stuff in, you shake it around, and it'll tell you whether or not it's a positive for marijuana. And in this case, came up positive for marijuana. So because the guy had gone to an indoor grow shop and because they found some wet, leafy material that turned positive for marijuana on a test pouch, SWAT team was sent, doors broken down, guns pointed in the face. Well, the couple has filed a lawsuit because when they uh, showed up at the family's house, they didn't find Jack. They didn't find anything having to do with marijuana. And a lab test done 10 days after the raid And another four months later after the raid found that the leafy material was not marijuana. And of course, the lab report even said it does not look anything like marijuana leaves or stems, not even something that was 
kind of marijuana looking and they just made a mistake or it was a false positive on the test. This didn't even look like pot. And keep in mind, these field drug tests that the cops are using have false positive rates as high as 70%. This is not anything of any level that should be acceptable for executing a warrant and invading people's privacy and scaring the hell out of them with military weaponry in their face. But that's what's still going on in the United States of America. Just wanting to grow tomatoes indoors and having some vegetable garbage in your garbage can can lead to this kind of state-sponsored terrorism. And given that you have a product that has such a high false positive rate, who's to say that the cop, when he puts something in and it doesn't test positive, doesn't just try it again? Keep using it until you finally get the positive you need to do what you want. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got our activist agenda. Christine Gordon will be joining us from Missouri to talk about legalization. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? Are you stupid? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com.
activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we get a chance to go out to the Show Me State of Missouri, where Christine Gordon is on the line. She's the vice president of the Missouri Cannabis Restoration and Protection Act. Christine, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for being here. And so where are you at in Missouri, by the way? I am in the Kansas City area. Oh, okay. I'm actually a resident of Kansas, um, but I have a daughter who is treated in Missouri, so we work on both sides of the state line. Okay, so there's been activity going on in both states, I know. Uh, Kansas, of course, we've been following the case of Shona Banda out there in uh, Garden City, and the people that are working with Bleeding Kansas, the activism group, are you uh, allied with them as well? Um, I am actually the vice president of Bleeding Kansas as well. Oh, excellent. You wear a lot of hats. That's fantastic. Okay, so let's talk about the Missouri Initiative since this is uh, the main thing we've got on the list for today. And you've got a a bit of a story to tell us to how you uh, came about being a medical cannabis activist. Could you tell our listeners? Yes, I have a four-year-old daughter that we call Baby Autumn who has a form of epilepsy called sodium channelopathy. She has been having seizures since she was three months old. We have been told by neurologists that she is out of pharmaceutical options. And so I started looking for options in natural medicine. I see. And this is, we hear this from uh, many parents of epileptic kids and throughout the country, we've seen states that have passed these CBD laws to try to help those kids. Is, isn't Missouri one of those states that has a CBD law? Yes, it, Missouri does have CBD law. However, it has not gone into effect and zero patients are being treated at this time. Okay. So what do you want to do with the Missouri Cannabis Restoration and Protection Act? Um, MCRPA is a uh, amendment to the Constitution to remove cannabis from the schedule of drugs. So this is a full-on uh, legalization effort rather than just medical? Yes. Okay. So in, in doing that as a constitutional amendment, how many signatures are required to get yourself on the ballot? We need a total of 167,000 signatures. Our goal, however, is 200,000. 200,000 signatures. You were approved starting uh, in, was this March, last March that you got your ballot approved? Yes. Our initiative was approved by the Secretary of State's office, and we began collecting signatures almost immediately. Okay. So where are you at in the goal, uh, in the signature goal, uh, working toward 200,000? Well, we are regularly having sheets turned in from petitioners all over the state. Um, so our numbers are constantly rising. Okay. But do you have an estimate of how many you have at this point? Um, we do not at this time. We are still processing papers. Okay. Uh, so moving forward on a, uh, initiative like this, you know, we've got, uh, we've got friends out there in Missouri as well with a group called show me cannabis. Is this something they're involved with or are they doing a, is it, there's a different thing. Yeah, I believe that they, they are uh, working towards medical. Um, we do not actually associate with them. Okay. Okay. So they're doing the medical thing. You're going on for the full legalization thing. Uh, don't you think, I mean, do you think that that's, you know, a tough road to hoe in a place like Missouri trying to go for full legalization? Uh, in, in the Midwest and, um, you know, the Red Belt area, it is quite the feat, but, um, we have 
had a lot of support from the state. Uh, we're growing in numbers rapidly, and I see this as being a real possibility. All right. Now, what did what are your sources as far as funding, and and how's the fundraising going for your initiative? Uh, we don't have regular funding. Uh, most of our efforts are um, contributed to by our members, our board members, patients. Um, caregivers, people that want to see this on the ballot. All right. Uh, Individuals. We are absolutely a grassroots movement. We do not have any corporate backing. Okay. So if you want to get the word out for people, uh, tell them where they can find information, a website or Facebook, stuff like that. You can find us on CanvasRestorationAndProtectionAct.org. And you can also find us um, on Facebook under uh, Real Legalization. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so in this amendment, you're talking about just removing cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act of Missouri. Is there any regulatory structure you're you're presenting to, to replace that, or is it just remove it from the, the list and let the chips fall where they may? This is a, a constitutional amendment. It is not a regulatory bill. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have protection for physicians, patients, caregivers. Um, it does address some regulation or um, suggestion, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, it is just to get it off the schedule gotcha. of now, controlled substances. Now, now, Colorado passed their legalization as a constitutional amendment as well, but they, they had within that amendment some limitations, things like you can only have an ounce, uh, you can grow six plants. Uh, is there anything like that, or is that yet to be determined? That is yet to be determined, and we actually have another group that is working um, with that structure. Oh, okay. Another group as in another initiative or just? No, another another group that is supporting our initiative. They are actually petitioning with us as well. Oh, so they've got a separate petition for what for is this a like the regulatory to go with the constitutional or something? No, they are circulating our petition. Oh, okay. We are working together, but they are um, working on the industrial side of it. Okay, I guess I'm confused as to what is it they're doing different. They're passing around your same petition, but what are they uh, what are they bringing into this extra? I'm not very involved with them in their particulars. Um, so that is something that you would have to talk to them about. And I'm looking up their name right now. Okay. The- I was, I'm just involved in the actual circulation of the petition. Okay. Okay. So, uh, as you've been going out talking to people in the Kansas city area, trying to get this petition signed, what have been some of the reactions you've gotten? For the most part, we get a really positive reaction. Um, we ask our petitioners to be polite you know, and be respectful of the businesses that they're around. And we have absolutely gotten a, um, a great response from the community Okay, across the state. I talked to, um, to people all across the state. We have over 200 petitioners statewide at this point. Okay. Well, let me, let me ask this question and trying to understand your motivation here. Um, uh, you've got a group called Show Me Cannabis. It's got some funding. It's got some uh, corporate backing. It's got some professionals who've done these kind of campaigns before, and they're aiming for medical marijuana, which is probably more achievable in Missouri and something that would probably help your daughter and people like her much more. 
why would you not want to contribute your efforts to helping that and instead go for this much more difficult goal with far fewer resources? In legal states, we still see a lot of problems that our citizens should not have to endure. Um, We do not feel that anybody should be jailed over a non-toxic plant. Um, We don't feel that criminal records should be ruining our children's future for employment, Mm -hmm. loans for college, long-term probation, things that affect the entire community. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted to make sure there was ultimate protection for patients and caregivers and physicians. This is an initiative by the people for the people to look out for our patients and our most vulnerable. We've had children in legal states that have been removed from their homes over cannabis and have died in state custody. We do not want to see that happening with the citizens of Missouri. And and do you think that, I mean, wouldn't passing what Show Me Cannabis is trying to do with medical help toward that goal? Um, the last time that I read their initiative, I found it to have problems that we're seeing in, in legal states. I mean, okay. like Angela Lane, who was murdered in foster care while her parents were legal um, cannabis state users. Okay, okay. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Kansas. Give us some uh, give us a look at what's happening in Kansas, and maybe some uh, contacts or Facebook or websites that can help out on that side of the line. Oh, absolutely. Um, I am involved with Bleeding Kansas. Uh, we currently are in the process of fine tuning our bill to submit for this year. Um, we've been submitting and working with legislatures for the last four years. Um, to put cannabis in front of the house. Um, Session starts on the 13th, and we plan on attending, and we are have been working all year towards this session. Um, We are definitely not going to take no for an answer. You can find us at joinbleedingkansas.com, and we are on Facebook as well just bleeding kansas all right join bleeding kansas.com of course bleeding kansas a reference to the 18 i guess it was the 1840s 1850s back when kansas was in that battle over free and slave states and it's kind of interesting now how kansas and missouri and the midwest has become kind of this battleground for medical and and recreational marijuana legalization uh on the kansas side is it also a legalization thing you guys are going for is it medical what is the status there and the details on the Kansas side is medical. Um, we have a different process in Kansas than Missouri does. Missouri has a ballot initiative where citizens can petition the state to put issues on the ballot. Kansas doesn't have that opportunity, so we actually have to go through um, our senators and legislature to get things approved. Oh, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense then. Well, uh, Christine, I appreciate you, uh, getting involved in cannabis activism. I know it's, it's, uh, some, some people are just called to it. It sounds like you are as well. And I wish you the best of luck in what you're doing in both Kansas and Missouri. Uh, it's cannabis restoration and protection act.org on the Missouri side. It's join bleeding Kansas.com on the Kansas side. And, uh, let me give you the last, uh, 45 seconds here. If you want to tell it, it Tell folks anything else. Uh, we absolutely appreciate all the support and, um, and information that we've got from other 
organizations across the country. Um, we are in a very difficult spot where we are. And um, with just um, our legislature and, and laws that are going on here, and we really appreciate the um, national support that we've gotten for Shauna Banda and, and many of our patients in this region. Well, we'll keep uh, keep a light on the Shauna Banda case for sure, and we'll keep uh, our eyes on Missouri as well. On you and baby Autumn, we wish you the best and uh, all the best of luck in trying to change the laws in the Midwest. Thanks for doing it. Thank you so much. All right. Stay tuned, folks. When we come back, we'll have time for a radical rant. We're going to talk about the history of drug testing in America, going all the way back to the 60s through the 80s and letting you know what's the latest on drug testing in America today. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Midnight, July 1st, 2015, adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon. Immediately, over 400,000 adults who consumed cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals. This is what freedom sounds like. Brought to you by Portland Oil. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably 
the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. I didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Today I wanted to take some time to just fill you in on drug testing in America. It's uh, a subject of particular importance to me. It's the whole reason why I'm in this career. And it's something that desperately needs to end. The only problem is our country is addicted to drug testing. Despite any evidence showing that it does anything it's purported to do, we can't stop doing it. And it's interesting to look at the history of drug testing to figure out how we got where we are. And a lot of it just has to do with fear and ignorance. It starts back in the 1960s. Back then, there was a lot of uh, concern about the uh, soldiers in Vietnam becoming addicted to heroin. And the idea was we would drug test these soldiers for heroin, find out who was addicted, and then we could assist them in rehab. But the widespread programs that we have for drug testing today weren't conceived until the 1980s. The 1980s is when we began this big drug testing uh, regime that we have in this country. And there are a couple of incidents that directly led to that drug testing. The first goes back to 1981. In 1981, there was a Navy plane, a twin engine Navy plane that crashed into the deck of the aircraft carrier, the USS Nimitz, and it caused one of the onboard missiles on the Nimitz to detonate and it killed 14 crew. When they did the autopsies on the bodies of the crewmen, the 14 who had died, they found six had used marijuana at some point in the preceding 30 days. Now, the problem is the six people, the three-man crew on the plane, weren't any of those six people that had tested positive. The three people in the plane that crashed tested clean for marijuana. And it was thought that the pilot might have been impaired by cold medicine at the time, not marijuana. But keep in mind, this is 1981. This is the first year of Ronald Reagan mourning in America and overcoming what he had called the malaise of Vietnam and the 1970s. So the the fear that there were hippies, pot smoking hippies on our nuclear uh, aircraft carriers freaked everyone out. And the Navy then put together their get tough policy on drugs. Now, it it spread from, of course, the Navy to the other areas of the military and then other areas of government. In 1982, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, paid researchers to swab the mouths of 289 dead private pilots. FAA is covering all the, the crashes. They find 289 wrecks, dead pilots, all fatal accidents, and they found 2.1% of them had recently used marijuana. Now, keep in mind, recently used marijuana means we found metabolites in their system, especially when we're talking about tests from 1982, swabbing the mouths, the saliva test, right? You're finding metabolites. So 2.1% also, when you think of the actual statistics in America, even back then at the time, in the 1980s, you had 
eight to 10% of the people using marijuana any given month. So you're a fourth as likely to have found a pot smoker amongst all of those dead private pilots as you were among just the general population at the time. Then by 1986, we found that 20 to 25% of major American companies had drug testing programs in place. And none of this was based on like these companies. Oh my God, we're having such a decline in productivity. Oh my God, workplace accidents have skyrocketed. No, it wasn't in reaction to anything. It was just a moral witch hunt. It was just another way to be seen as rejecting the hippy-dippy love smoke pot ethos of the 1970s. It was really a, a cultural phenomenon more than a scientific or workplace or economic phenomenon. It was really a matter of rejecting the ethos of the 1970s. By September of 1986, Ronald Reagan signed an executive order for a drug-free federal workplace because he declared that federal employees who use illegal drugs tend to be less productive, less reliable, and prone to greater absenteeism than their fellow employees, also claimed they're prone to lapses of judgment, subject to blackmail, and a burden to their colleagues. Wow, right? So uh, Reagan codifies the idea of the drug-free workplace as if there's ever been such a thing in human history, there has not. And without any evidence for any of these claims about productivity or reliability or absenteeism or anything like that. Again, just a moral crusade. Now, the capper on all of this. Remember, we're getting the federal drug-free workplace by 1986, but in 1987, January... An Amtrak train heading north from Washington, D.C. derailed outside Baltimore, killed 16 passengers and injured 174 more. During the investigation, they found that there might have been some problems with uh, warning signals, but part of the blame fell on the railroad engineer, Ricky Gates, who admitted that he'd been passing a joint back and forth with his brakeman and that he'd been that he'd taken about three hits by the time the accident took place. About three hits. Now, he's also an admitted alcoholic, and he'd been out drinking the night before and had a hangover. But marijuana found to be the blame for this tragic Amtrak derailment. That, of course, set off the entire furor for drug testing from that point on. And remember when in 86, we had 20 to 25% of the companies that were drug testing by 1988, we'd found it had doubled to 49%. To get that to increase, Congress in 1988 passed a drug-free workplace law that said any company that held significant government contracts or grants would have to have a drug-free workplace policy. By 1991, they've passed a law that required drug and alcohol testing of safety-sensitive employees in private transportation companies. Pilots, conductors, drivers, etc. And in 1996, the American Management Association found that more than 80% of its member companies had some form of drug testing and over two-thirds had tested all new hires. In a span of just 20 years, 
employee drug testing had become the norm in America. But even over these 20 years, as the drug testing increased and increased, there was no scientific case to be made that it was having any sort of effect. They weren't showing any reduction in accidents or on the job or better on the job performance. And most likely because this testing they do is urinalysis, which again, doesn't tell us that someone's high in the office or high behind the wheel. It only tells you that they got high some point in the last few days. If someone's just smoking weed on the weekends, but otherwise coming to work and doing a great job, what is the problem? They've never been able to show that workers who use drugs are less productive. And in fact, some studies will show that with some drugs, the use of those drugs can actually be beneficial. Yeah, you don't want a long haul trucker high on an indica or, you know, doing heroin. But a long haul trucker who's on a little bit of speed could actually reduce accidents. The use of stimulants could actually help. In fact, our U.S. government, that same military that got so freaked out about the the clean pilots crashing on the Nimitz, regularly prescribes amphetamines to its pilots. (laughs) This is common knowledge. And we've also found that they try to see if there's, you know, any reduction in accidents or in construction or any of these kind of heavy risk industries and a review of 23 studies published in the journal of accident analysis and prevention last year found that quote, the evidence base for the effectiveness of testing and improving workplace safety is at best tenuous at best tenuous. And also keep in mind that this drug testing is going after people who are on drugs, not alcohol. If you lump together all of the drugs people use, All together, in one giant category, you'd end up with about 8.9 million people. There are 17.3 million people dependent on alcohol. But for some reason, we have no problem with our employees going out and getting drunk. Hell, we'll let it happen at company functions. At the company office sometimes. We celebrate our employees' use of alcohol. We actually encourage it in some ways. When that actually has evidence behind it showing to cause more absenteeism, greater employee health costs, more likelihood of risk of accident. We have that data for alcohol. That's how you know that this war on drugs is really a war between drugs. It's drug apartheid, folks. That's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us here on CannabisRadio.com. I'm Radical Rust. We'll see you tomorrow. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down.